Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we are talking about the video game Fallen Order and what its story tells us about the Star Wars Universe. All that and more with Riki and Sarah Hayashi after this commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back, folks. I'm Matthew. I'm your host. As I said, this is going to be a bit of a special bonus episode. The Star Wars Universe podcast is every week going to be covering the Bad Batch in partnership with the Animation Liberation uh, podcast. We're going to be doing live recordings of our podcast at 9 a.m. Central Time on the Stranded Panda TV Twitch channel. So that'll be a time if you want to tune in there and ask questions or give feedback. Or, of course, it'll always be showing up in your podcast feed. But because there's so much else going on in the Star Wars Universe and I wanted to keep talking about other things... We're going to probably, you know, a couple of weeks during those three, two or three months, we'll still have some bonus episodes about other things. Knowing me, that's probably going to wind up being every other week, if not actually every week. But I am going to try to keep it to just a couple. But, but today we're going to dive into something we've been talking about for a long time. And it's a little bit of a departure, but that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. Because, because Disney and Star Wars have made it very clear that this is a canonical story. And so we're going to talk about the story and about what it means to have a story told in a video game format. And, of course, we're talking about the game Fallen Order that came out, I think, about six months ago or so now, but it's been quite popular. And I have played my way through it, and Ricky and Sarah, I know you have watched uh, replays of it and cutscenes of it. So how are you folks doing today, and uh, how are you feeling about talking about this game today? Didn't it come out in 2019? Eh, time is a squibbly, (laughs) wobbly, bobbly thing. You just ignore 2020, and then it came out. There you yeah. go. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, g- good. I think we've referenced <clears throat> Fallen Order a couple times talking about um, the Clone Wars. So right. it's nice to talk, sit down and just talk about it. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, when it when it came out, we watched um, a YouTuber, the Rad Brad, shout out, do his uh, playthrough of it. And then just recently we watched um, a, like a compilation of cutscenes sort of cut together as a, as a movie for it. Right. Yeah, and I would say I, I probably half-watched, half-played it, because as I, I've commented before, I'm not much of a video game person, and this is a hard video game, and we'll be talking about the significance of that later, but I'd say about half the game I played through, and then I'd get to a really difficult part and hand the joystick to my to my partner, who's much better with those things, and say, help. And as the game went on, the number of times I said, help, and she just sort of took over for an hour or two, or got, got more and more, but either way, I experienced the whole game. <laughs> And I think, yeah, I think I like what you brought up there, which is that, you know, it used to be sometimes you'd get a story like this and maybe be canonical, maybe it wouldn't be. But either way, it was so obscure that it didn't really matter. This is a story about, you know, what happens to members of the Jedi after Order 66. This is a story about Inquisitors. And we haven't had any of the plot moments of it, I believe, directly directly referenced in other canon yet. But I certainly think it's very possible. And... If you're listening to or if you're taking part in any discussions about Star Wars, there's certainly a lot of people calling for some of these moments to become part of the story. So I think it's it's important enough that we wanted to get into it. And the idea here is that if you've played the game, hopefully you're going to really enjoy our conversation and have your own thoughts and you can let us know about those. But especially for those who haven't played through the game, uh, we will be spoiling it all. So if you want to go play the game, uh, if you like platformers, it's a very good platformer, I've heard. I'm not a platformer fan myself, but that's another story. Uh, but if you haven't played the game, you're not really sure you're going to, but you still want to hear us talk about the story, then this is also the episode for you. And, and so with that, let's, let's first of all mostly focus on the story. We'll talk about it being a video game a bit towards the end. Uh, but in terms of the story itself, can either of you give kind of a quick summary of what happens in the story? 
My goodness. This is a long game, so I don't know if yes. a quick summary is... <laughs> we don't have to go to just hit the major details. Yeah, so we're starting, what is this, like five years after what they're calling The Purge, which is Order 66. Yep. Um, and we start off with our main character, Cal Kestis, who is working in a scrapyard. <coughs> um, a group of Inquisitors come who are... Uh, yeah, characters are first introduced to. They're, they they look like stormtroopers. They're dressed in all black. Um, they're like the numbered sisters, which is pretty interesting. But they come, they're looking for Jedi. Um, Cal ends up revealing himself to be a Jedi and kind of goes on the run, meets up with another uh, escaped Jedi or former Jedi, Seer, uh, mm-hmm. and her captain, Grease. And they're on the hunt for a holocron, which has the list of names of Force-sensitive children. Right. Um, so yeah, Cal meets up with the droid of another former Jedi, Eno Cordova. Eno Cordova, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, and then Cal sort of tracks those leads throughout the galaxy, um, including stops like Kashyyyk, Dathomir. Um, does he actually go to Onicron? He meets no. he meets Saw on Kashyyyk. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. um, and uh, yeah, eventually finds the holocron. Uh, take gets it away from the Inquisitors. Um, we end up finding out that one of the Inquisitors is Seer's former, a print, former Padawan. Um, we get a, a fun little Darth Vader cameo, and then uh, yeah, Cal decides that it's best to destroy the holocron. And if these Force sensitive kids uh, want to join the Force and want to help rebuild the Jedi, then the Force will will come to them. They're not gonna go go hunt after them. Right. Yeah, I, I think that hits the main main details. There's obviously a lot more story that goes into. We get a lot of stuff about the Night Sisters and on Dathomir. We get to meet some other fallen Jedi. I, I think some of the most important things for our story, though, is a we we learn about the whole process of people becoming Inquisitors. The Inquisitors are important parts of the uh, Rebel storyline. I'm guessing they're going to appear somewhat in Bad Batch. Uh, we've basically gotten the idea that they're the ones who've been hunting down rogue Jedi ever since Order sixty six under Darth Vader's control. And we find out that a lot of them are themselves former Jedi who were taken or, or and and you know converted or turned to the dark side or through torture or whatever it might be. And we also get a lot of discussion about why the Jedi fell and, and sort of what would it mean to rebuild the Jedi in ways that I think are pretty interesting. So a lot to talk about here. Uh, and let's just start kind of basic. What do you all think of the story? Oh, this is my favorite era of Star Wars is the in-between the prequels and the original series. Mm-hmm. So, I just like filling in the gaps of this period and finding out what the Empire was doing and how, you know, some Jedi survived. Yeah. Uh, especially the Inquisitors. So, the Inquisitors are Force-sensitive, dark-side users, often ex-Jedi who have been corrupted to mm-hmm. the dark side. So, I I don't think we'll get to see them in the Bad Batch unless there's some kind of time jump. Because mm, it would right. be a little too quick for them to establish this order of inquisitors. That's fair. Yeah, we do run into them in Rebels, which we're going to be talking about later. Yeah, um, right. yeah I, I mean, I really liked the story as well. I think it's because it's so long, like we do get to get a little more in depth um, with a lot of really fun elements. Like, yeah, the Night Sisters on Dathomir was really cool. Um, so we, we, I watched Fallen Order before I watched Clone Wars. So I think like coming into Clone Wars being like, oh, okay, I recognize the Night Sisters. Oh, okay. I recognize this like Kyber crystal 
uh, search. Ilum. And Ilum, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so seeing those moments and in um, Clone Wars, the show, we kind of move through them maybe a little quicker or don't get um, as involved with them. Whereas yeah. in this game, we get a, a little more exploration of that, which I thought was really cool. And as Sarah mentioned, uh, we do meet up with Saw Gerrera again. Yep. And in five years since the end of Clone Wars, he is aged up dramatically to be played by Forrest Whitaker, which is uh, probably even more of a dramatic age up than Obi-Wan goes through on Tatooine. You know, warfare can do terrible things to you. Different mm-hmm. planets have different atmospheres. Those UV lights or UV rays are going to get to you. Yeah. Um, How does time work, right? It's Maybe it's yeah, different. Space time, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Relativity in space. I mean, yeah. all the concepts of space, should, time shouldn't make any sense anyway. So <laughs> traveling that often at light speed. Well, I, I'm glad you really, really like the story. I think I had more mixed feelings about it. And part of that may be also because I was playing it instead of just getting to watch it. And mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I, I found that experience kind of frustrating. Uh, I love the world building. And I think you both referenced this. I feel like what we learned about the story about like the, the whole nature of the Inquisitors and just getting to spend more time with the idea of, you know, I think you watch uh, Revenge of the Sith. It's possible to think like all the Jedi except Obi-Wan and Yoda and maybe one or two others were all killed within like 48 hours. Yeah. And part of what I think this really goes through is that, no, like a lot of them did escape. And the, the next five or ten years of uh, time after the Purge was just spent like hunting down the last of the rogue Jedi and killing them. Um, making the line in A New Hope about how the Jedi are, for, are forgot, the forces are forgotten in ancient religion make less and less sense, but <laughs> the canonic- canonicity of that line I think has already been blown out of the water. So I think there's so much great stuff we learn about the world. I have to say, though, I found the main story itself not very compelling. In part because, and I, I, I'm kind of, maybe you all had a different read on this, Cal Kestis the, the Jedi antagonist who's our hero and the, 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 the person you're playing as felt like such a boring white bread, completely has no defining personality characteristics except he's sad about his master dying and he wants to rebuild the Jedi. I, I just found him so utterly uncompelling as a character that I think that was the – and the storyline of like will we undo these clues and puzzles, to me that never really grabbed me. But the, the world building itself, I did think, was absolutely fantastic. I, I liked Cal. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there's also, there's definitely a difference between, like, player character in a video game versus main character in a storyline. That's um, fair. Where I think there is some, like, neutral masking going on with player characters. Um, they leave it, like, a bit, I guess what, what you might describe as bland. Like, a mm-hmm. little less personality to la- allow the player to sort of put themselves in that role. That's fair. Um, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. I liked Cal. Um, I liked how we got to see his relationship with his master, um, Jaro Topal mm-hmm. in those sort of like flashbacks. And they seem to be used as, um, almost like tutorials for, right. for new skills that you could do in the game. Like we haven't played it, but that's what it looks That's exactly like. what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I thought that sort of the relationship between Master and Padawan, and then even um, at the very beginning, Cal is, uh, there's a another character on, um, I think, is it Bracca the, the planet that they're on that they start with? I believe that's true, yeah. And, they're, and here, another fun bit of world building, what they're doing is basically taking apart 
all of the old Republic ships from the Clone Wars. And the implication is like they're basically like recycling parts to be able to use to rebuild the Imperial Navy. Yeah, yeah, they're scrappers, which is like interesting. Um, and he's got a sort of like father figure on that scrapyard, and he first ends up using the Force in order to save him when they are out um, doing like a reconnaissance on some some ship far away, and mm-hmm. some stuff goes down. Um, but yeah, so seeing that like hunt for a father figure, hunt for a master, because Cal was just a Padawan when Order sixty six happened. Right, um, like he was quite young. And now he's, I don't know, like 20-something, um, but grew up without a master, still with this, like, waning connection to the Force. Like, he still has a bit of a connection, um, but it sort of grows and strengthens as the game progresses. Right. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I, I liked I liked those aspects of him. I didn't find him particularly bland, and I think, That's like, fair. BD1 does a lot of um, good support work in there, too, just... Uh, yeah, BD-1 is a little droid. Yeah. A little droid he picks up as a companion, and he serves as both the, like, a person he can talk to and exposition at, but also he's your sort of, like, he slices, th- he slices, he dices, he makes Julian fries. He, he does a lot of, like, <laughs> cool things in the game to give you, like, tech support, um, which is a kind of a, it's a fun game mechanic for sure, and he's a great character. Mickey? Well, I love the character of Cal Kestis. Okay. And I also just, in general... Like, I talked about how this was my favorite period, and the way that they are developing uh, the continuation of the Jedi storylines. Mm-hmm. Here we have Cal. Um, we just saw in the Bad Batch, uh, Kanan, or I guess Caleb, uh, escape right. thanks to the actions of the Bad Batch. And we know he becomes an important part of the Rebels cartoon. Mm-hmm. And then Ahsoka also. So you have three Padawans who have escaped the purge and now have this burden to carry on the Jedi legacy without fully understanding or embracing that legacy for various reasons. Right. And I think that's, that's an excellent storytelling technique here, like in, in the big picture, because, you know, as we find out in the last Jedi and all that, that the legacy of the Jedi in some sense was failure. Right. Yeah. And so, these young Padawans have to reckon with that failure, but also they don't have to be burdened with it because they weren't responsible as right. much for that failure. Mm. No, I'm really glad you brought up that, especially the the relationship between Master and Padawan, because we, we do see a number of good examples of that in, in some of the stories you're bringing up. And certainly uh, a couple of times now we've seen a Master sacrifice themselves to protect the Padawan. Um and, and you can get into all sorts of questions about if, if ha, whether that should be done or not. But I think then we also get the flip side of it because there's one other Padawan who did survive, uh, and that's Trilla, who, beca- who as we learned, is the, was the Padawan of Seer. And as the story goes, Seer goes out to, you know, tells Trilla to, to stay safe, to not go out. Uh, Seer is going to try and go out. Seer gets captured. Seer gets tortured. And while she's being tortured... She gives up the information of where her Padawan can be found. And so Trilla is captured. And, you know, it's kind of the like, you know, we've seen all these great examples of masters protecting their Padawans. And that's the Padawans being able to keep up the Jedi Jedi legacy. In a case we get where the Jedi didn't do that and Trilla, the Padawan, was captured, she becomes an Inquisitor. And she, the second sister, becomes kind of the, the primary antagonist. And I... I really loved her story with Seer because I thought it was such a good counterpoint 
to what you're talking about there of we see both the success, but also the the real breakdown that happens and, and where that sense of betrayal can lead you if you're if you as a Padawan, you don't make it. Yeah. Um, and also while kind of doing research on this, there's a fan theory that has not been confirmed or denied in any way that Barris Afi, the Padawan who betrayed Ahsoka uh, during season five of the Clone Wars, might be another Inquisitor, uh, mm. I think the ninth sister who shows up in Rebels. No, the oh, ninth sister is in this video game. She's the big yellow. The sixth. Okay, right. it's the st- the sixth sister then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The ninth sister, I think, gets eaten by a dragon. Or yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Her ship gets crashed. So, well, yeah, that's the flip side is that Padawans who perhaps felt betrayed by their masters or saw the corruption of the Jedi fall easier and right. then are taken in by the Inquisitor Order. Right. Which also makes, like, I'm really excited that at some point we're going to get to see more of Ahsoka's story during this time because I think it makes even more. The fact that she didn't do any of that, even though she'd been like pretty badly betrayed by the Jedi, uh, you know, all the more remarkable story that she doesn't turn in any way. Yeah, I mean, but she had her sort of abandonment pre-purge as well, right? So I don't think anyone was actively courting Ahsoka from the dark side, right? Right. Um, Because she had already left the Order by that time. Um, And like I do in season seven, we do get to see sort of what she's like post- jedi order right. um and then we get to see her again in mandalorian but yeah like i'm i don't know i wonder if if i mean obviously anakin probably wouldn't have gone <laughs> after her or maybe he would have that would be interesting but mm-hmm. um yeah like what would have happened if she did get abandoned like post purge in the same right. way that trilla did and i guess like barris to an extent although barris seemed pretty disillusioned beforehand as well right yeah and just tying it back a bit to the, the character we started with, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really glad to hear you all had a better perspective on Cal than I did, or at least a different perspective, because, you know, it, it so many people have been calling for, like, people thought that Cal might be the one to show up at the end of oh, yeah. Mandalorian Season 2. People mm-hmm. were really excited for him to show up and other things. And I was honestly kind of baffled by that, because I just didn't connect with the character. But I'm, I'm really glad to hear that others did, and that, that gives me a lot of ideas. I will also say it is the best ginger representation I've seen in Star Wars. <laughs> he is very much a redhead, and I we don't get to see that very often. So that that alone made me pretty happy. <laughs> yeah. I think there might also be, like, an element of, like, we didn't have any frustrations playing him because we weren't playing him, right? That's I, – I had Cal jump off a cliff 80 million times because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't hit the button at the exact right time. So, yes, that's also very possible. Right? Just be like, why are you sliding into oblivion when I told you not to do that? <laughs> so you just get angry at him? Yeah. That's certainly very possible. And and I'll also say, as again, as someone who hasn't played many video games or watched many video games, I like a comment – I like, Sarah, the comment that you made about how a player character is often going to be a little bit more of a blank slate so that the the, the – the, the actual person playing the game can can you know put a little bit more of their personality onto that that character, and so maybe that's also since that's not a dynamic I'm used to, that maybe should be something I missed entirely. Yeah, this. So we were talking about this earlier about Resident Evil Eight because the main character that you play, Ethan Winters, you never see his face. It's all a first person, like your camera is in your eyes perspective, and there's mm-hmm. never any cutscenes where you see Ethan's face. And we were talking oh, about how like that that is a way for people to be able to immerse more fully with this character from the first person right. perspective. Whereas in, in this game, 
not only is it um like a first person like behind it's third person it's yeah. A, yeah third person behind him there's also just cut scenes where you you see him from a third person perspective mm-hmm. right that that totally makes sense and it i mean honestly it does make me wonder if we ever see this character in live action you know and they cast someone how many people who play the game are going to be like, no, that's not what Cal is supposed to be like because they've, you know, had their own image of Cal from playing the character. Yeah. Well, there is, I mean, I like, feel like the it's actor. Just, most of these act, yeah, they just model the characters after the people, right? Right. Yeah. It's just like motion capture, cap, eh, motion capture. Yeah. Um, Cameron Monaghan is the actor. And yeah, it looks. Sounds ginger. <laughs> he sounds yeah. ginger. <laughs> yeah. And he Irish. just like looks, uh, Exactly. I mean, yeah. yeah they just the, like stick the dots on his face, and the Jedi Master character of Eno Cordova um, is played by someone who, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's quite famous in like sci-fi circles. Like he's been on a lot of TV series. And and Cameron Monaghan, uh, the actor who's playing Cal Kestis, he's been in quite a lot. He was a major character in Shameless, uh, oh, okay. and uh, for more in in kind of our own. Uh, in more genre world, if you've seen the the if you've seen the TV show Gotham, he plays the character who's kind of a possible inspiration for Joker type type character. Um, oh. So yeah, so, so he, oh, he has yeah, some acting yeah. chops under his okay. belt. So let's talk about the characters of uh, Seer and Trilla because I think their their storylines are so intertwined that we can kind of talk about them really at the same time. And I think they we both kind of briefly alluded to it, but just. Their story really is so emblematic of this, all these questions about the legacy of the Jedi and the Inquisitors and how that story comes about. What? How do you guys feel about those two characters? I, I so I think I was most disappointed by Seer as a character, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because here we are, we get a, a Jedi character, a a woman, you know, a person of color, a woman right. of color. And yet she's given this like very down storyline of failure, right? Mm. And she doesn't really use the force until the very end. So she's she's not portrayed in the powerful Jedi tradition. Right. And and it's just I don't know, it was kinda a kind of a downer, especially for for that kind of representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had similar feelings. Um I mean I guess I I liked Seer. But the fact that she had, um, like, cut herself off completely from the Force. Like, she didn't... Hmm. When we encountered other Jedi who are, like, no longer Jedi, but, like, still are, there's, like, a certain, I don't know, aura about them. Like, old man Obi-Wan. And even, like, the creepy guy in the, like, desert at um, Dathomir. Malakos. Malakos, thanks. Who's a former Jedi. Like, they have a certain, like, I used to be a Jedi vibe and i feel right. like we didn't get that from sears she was just like a sad lady yeah and then like she, her reasoning is like after she betrayed Trilla, she like completely cut herself off from the force because she ended up tapping into the dark side and just didn't trust herself not to go there again so she just cut it off completely but like i don't know even in the flashbacks when we see seer as a jedi i still didn't really believe in her as a jedi let alone like a jedi master yeah I think I got kind of a similar feeling. I I wonder if it's because, like, you only find out that she was a former Jedi, like, more and more of her story gets told over the course of the game. But at first she seems like she's just, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of like hang, 
a, a freight, someone on a freighter or a, a you know a smuggler or shipper or something like that. And so I wonder if part of it was that that she's supposed it's supposed to be kind of a surprise that she's a Jedi. But I think you're right that they they went a little bit too far with that. And to me, it's I had very mixed feelings because I I love the aspect of the story that we get between her and Trilla. Mm. But I think I like Trilla's character much much more. Yeah. Um, because you're right. I think Seer it just felt. And again, I don't know how much this was video game dynamics, that she's very much supposed to just be kind of an NPC. Like, I feel like on some level, if she has that Jedi aura, then on some level you're wondering why isn't she doing this instead of Cal? Uh, but it, it, So it kind of felt like I understood why they had to do that contrivance of making her very sort of nerfed, yeah. but it also felt very much like a contrivance. And I wish they'd done, especially because as you say, uh, um, as you pointed out, Riki, having her be the first kind of woman of color Jedi we get in a major role, at least as far as I can remember right now, it would have been a lot nicer to have her have a more significant role. So I was, I was thinking about that, what you just said. And I think part of the issue is that when Cal, we talked about earlier how he levels up, you know, some force ability. Mm-hmm. It's done through a flashback to his old master, Jero Tapal, teaching him some lesson in the training room. Right. And I think it would have been nice to have some scene with Cal and Seer where mm-hmm. she teaches him something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if maybe like halfway through the story, she had sort of started to embrace her role again. Yeah. And and you could have maybe had her like, maybe she was so physically injured by the torture she went through that that's why she can't be the one to physically go on these missions and things like that. Yeah. I, I think or- that could have made it a much stronger story. For sure. And or like even like she's still cut off from the force, but she can still like talk cal through some stuff right would make sense but she didn't like so the other character on the ship grease who's like the captain slash avid gambler yeah slash cook slash cook <laughs> yeah yeah he's like the the dude that seer has hired to cart them around um like i didn't get much of a different vibe from either of them right they both have this like sort of pseudo parental role with cal but, like, in a very, like, we're bad parents kind of way. Yeah. Um, like, Seer with her sort of, like, refusal to even approach force subjects with mm-hmm. uh, with Cal. And then Grease with his selling him into gladiatorial combat. <laughs> uh, which, I guess, is my, like, that's, if we have a gripes section at the end, that's where I'm going. But, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I just... I think her her character could have been handled differently. Like she just didn't she didn't feel like a Jedi, but in order to get that twist of oh the second sister is your pal's old padawan, she needs to be a Jedi. So there's just this like mismatch and I think you like you guys are both totally right. There's a there was a different way of handling her yeah, being a Jedi and feeling like one without making her seem overpowered. I also felt like on the one hand, they wanted to give you the sense of betrayal, but they also didn't want it to be bad enough that she couldn't be redeemed because, like, clearly the end is setting up for a sequel in which she is now more of an active Jedi because she joins in the fight against Vader and is an important part of it at the very end. To me, it's also where the story falls down a bit because, yes, if you're a Padawan, like, we have all of these stories throughout the Jedi, you know, whether it's Obi-Wan or the... Or not Obi-Wan, but like all the Jedi who get captured in various movies or TV shows, and you torture them and you torture them and you torture them and they never talk. And that's a great, great like aspiration to be sure. But if you tell me someone 
completely betrayed me and allowed me to be captured by the dark side, by the, you know, the Sith, by Darth Vader. And I was like, okay, oh, that's horrible. What did they do? And you tell me that under the absolute, you know, worst possible physical, mental, psychic tortures that the Empire plus Vader plus the Emperor or whatever, you know, could come up with, that to me doesn't feel like a betrayal. You know, it feels like I wish you could have been stronger, but that doesn't feel to me like someone gave you 30 pieces of silver and said, here's where to go find my Padawan. Am I off base there? Or does it seem like you gave up the secret under incredibly awful torture isn't quite the horrible betrayal that, that, it's, that, that, that it seems to be made out to be? They're not going to tell you that. Yeah, I guess that's like that's the thing I was going to say. Like that's the perfect information version, which I think is why we're able to redeem Seer because it was this incredible torture, right? So right. having perfect information, like we don't think it's that bad. But I'm assuming like they told Trilla, like we barely poked her and she gave you up instantly. I think I agree with you there, but I, but I feel like the story never lets you connect that dot mm. because the story is very clear that Seer horribly betrayed her. And, and, like, there's never a moment where Cal says, like, you were under Imperial torture. Like, of course you gave that up. You know, there's never a moment yeah. of that sympathy for her. I thought there was. Well, there's, like, he confronts her. I mean, so immediately after the reveal, when mm-hmm. the, we learn that the second sister is Trilla, and Trilla's like, guess who my master is? Right. Um, and then she leaves. Then Cal gets yeah, abducted by this gambling ring gladiatorial battle thing. When he gets back to the ship, he confronts Seer about it. And she was basically just like, yeah, I was tortured. And then, like, near the very end of the story, I think, like, right before the Vader battle, you get mm-hmm. to see the, like, her leaving Trilla in the cave and going. And then I think, I don't know, like, I, I remember it being more implied that it was, like, super super hard torture but i don't know if they like anybody actually said it mm. i don't quite recall do you remember something ricky you look like you remember i mean it's pretty bad yeah yeah but they don't actually sh- show it right it's they, just implied they do, they do. okay yeah. you do, you do I just like, block it out of my mind cool and i'll also say i saw this story over a course of probably four three three or four months mm. um so it's also very possible that i like some parts of it i just have forgotten because i played you know I would play the game for a couple hours, put it away, come back a week later, that kind of a thing. So, that's yeah, it's a long, <laughs> it's a long story for sure. Well, so let's let's then switch to Trilla because I think for me, I think the real power of the story between the two of them comes from her character and what we learn from her. Well, I so my minor complaint about Trilla is why is she the second sister? I don't know. So I don't actually know if they're ordered by rank. <laughs> yeah. And if you can rank up. That's always what I kind of assumed. And mm-hmm. so like her being second sister. So the, is it the ninth? Ninth sister. Ninth, is the ninth sister apparently is an actual former Jedi. And, and oh, not right. Not even an actual Padawan. You're yeah. right. So I was like, why is she the second sister? Yeah. Maybe it's like the top number is um, the highest. And in, and in order to get to the bottom of this, I have actually put in an order at my library for the Darth <laughs> Vader. I think it's like called Lord of the Sith comic books, okay. which introduces more of the backstory of the Inquisitors. So I'll get back nice. to you on that part. Delightful. Okay, I'll look forward to that. So, so beyond that, grape, did you, do you like the character? Do you also find her kind of frustrating? Uh, she's okay. I mean, I like her her quips and her trash talking during the fights yeah. <laughs> that's always fun yeah i 
I don't know. It's it's another thing. Like, she's also a woman of color, right? And we get that the it seems like she quickly bought into this, like, seer betrayed you thing. Mm, right. And, um, like, I don't know. She was relatively young and probably, like, susceptible to the dark side and them, like, their persuasions and torturing her. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. It It felt like... Yeah, she was she was just on this like revenge mission against Seer for betraying her. But even then, like like you were saying, Matthew, the idea that like this torture must have been immense in order for her to betray her, right. like didn't really seem to cross her mind. I don't know. I She also leaves her, her though. Like in the scene in the that cave. they show No no, in the yeah, scene tr- where they show uh Seer is in the torture chamber mm-hmm. and then trilla comes and they it's t- it's from her perspective and they f- this is when they first give her the inquisitor helmet the cool helmet that she wears okay and then that's when Sears like no and gets mad because it's clear that she's fallen to the dark side and like blows everything up and escapes and just leaves her there mm. injured probably so i think that there was like a first betrayal and then there's the second betrayal Okay, right. like you saw that they they were taking me and like you just escaped for yourself instead yeah. of like trying yeah. to save me. That makes yeah. sense. It's interesting that we have such different uh, views on this, especially uh, with the switch with Cal as well. I really like Trilla's character. I think especially because until now, you know, we never really got to see, we never really learned much about the Inquisitors in Rebels. I mean, we, 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 we see them being like very evil and having good plans and plots. But we never really kind of have any sympathy or relatability to them. And I really liked getting to see that from Trilla and getting to see, especially since we're kind of in this period, as you said, uh, Riki, that the the Jedi have fallen. And there's all these people out here who are using the Force. They're not quite sure where they fit. You know, we also later meet another uh, dark side user, but is very much not like a Sith or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And she's clearly, I mean, she's not an actual Sith, but she's on that on the side. You know, she's working for Vader. But I liked getting to have a better, you know, she's not a mustache twirler. We have a bit mm-hmm. more of an understanding of where she's coming from. And to me, it really, like, the title is Fallen Order. And I feel like one of the themes of it is that it's not just that they fell because they were betrayed. It's that they they sort of, you know, all the stuff you and I, all three of us talked about during the Clone Wars shows of all the things that were, went into the fall of the Jedi. And so I, I guess I just really liked Trilla because I felt like she was a really good illustration of that and of seeing, like, yeah, if you were, you know, taken from your parents at a t- very young age and raised by this group and told they'll take care of everything and they'll protect you and here's this woman who's your your master and she'll always keep you safe and then she betrays you and as you see it at least, as you said, like, you know, whether or not how much is an actual betrayal. I guess I just, I just found her character incredibly relatable and her story very compelling. Yeah, so do you think she's, like, part of the Inquisitor Crusade? Like, she truly believes in the like eliminate the jedi cause like the idea that the the jedi as an order like what we were talking about with clone wars kind of um like grew almost too full of themselves and had too much power mm-hmm. and became corrupt like what palpatine has been pushing like do you think that she's that trilla believes that and that's why she's fighting to eliminate the jedi I think she does, and and here I'm going to admit this is a huge bit of headcanon for me, but it's one that I hope we get to see explored somewhere else. And I, I've been kind of reaching out and seeing other who have theories similar to this. You know, 
more and more, I think the story is willing to understand the idea that the Jedi were not perfect and that maybe taking young children from their parents at age like one or two and raising them within what's basically a cult is not always the most healthy thing for, you know, youth development. Um, and in our own world, I, I, a long time ago, I got really interested in cults and the psychology of it and stuff like that. And, and one of the things that there's been a lot of studies of is if you have children who are raised in a very cult-like, you know, atmosphere and then, you know, they, they leave that cult, they're now very, very susceptible for another cult, you know, for another group that comes along and says, no, 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 all of them were wrong, but actually we have all the answers and things like that. And that that kind of bit of, like, psychological information kept coming to mind for me as I was playing through this game and thinking about the – that, like, yeah, if you were taken as a, a tiny child, you were raised by the Jedi, they were the only thing that gave you any worldview, and then all that comes crashing down and along comes this other group which is just as persuasive and just as much willing to be like, no, 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 we're your family. We can make everything right for you. And we can tell you that all your sort of like buried feelings of resentment and anger, that they're real, give in to those because, yeah, that other group, they was terrible, but we're great. To me, that feels very, very believable. And I guess like that was never explicitly stated in Trilla's story, but I feel like to go through what she did, to then buy in hook, line, and sinker to the ideology of the next group that comes along seems very believable to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, the sort of, like, nature abhors a vacuum thing of, like, just replacing one cult with another. Right. Um, and even, yeah, I guess the idea that she's she's not just doing this out of spite against Seer. Like, she truly believes that the Jedi need to be eliminated in the way that we're supposed to think that Anakin believes that. Right. Um, yeah, like, that makes that makes more sense. Yeah. I like that. Cool. <laughs> I don't like that, but I mean, I like that for her character, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and just going one step deeper on this, there's a line that is said by, uh, you mentioned before, Terran Malakos, who's a dark Jedi. The idea is that he was a full Jedi during the Purge. He escaped. He somehow crashed on Dathomir. And he's clearly turned more and more towards the dark side. And he's kind of been basically kind of running the Knight, the Knight Brothers on Dathomir as his own little private army and in conflict with the Night Sister. And he tries to sort of convince Cal to join him. And and one of the things he said is, you know, because uh, Cal is saying, like, no, I'm going to rebuild the Order. You know, the, it's, it's just that the Jedi fell because of the Purge. And so Malico says to him, the Jedi fell long before the Purge, stifled by tradition, deafened by past glories, blinded by endless wars. Is he wrong? Because I heard, I heard him saying <laughs> that and was like, I, I think you're right, dude. Yeah, I mean, I also thought that, but then, like, I don't know, giving the speech while showing off the crazy scars that you've given yourself and, like, I command an insane army isn't, like, <laughs> the most convincing sounding. But, yeah, like, I mean, it's the same thing, themes that we've been talking about throughout Clone Wars, right? That, like, the Jedi the Jedi are on the downward spiral at their, at their own hand, kind of, or, like, at Palpatine's gentle right. pushing. Ricky, what about you? What's your sense of that and how this plays in all the stuff that we're talking about, about the legacy of the Jedi? Well, I mean, I think Malikos is right that the Jedi Order fell mm-hmm. in that way. But but I have to question, you know, like whether what that means for individual Jedi. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, I don't know. There's just 
we talk so much about how the Jedi Order was bad and corrupt, but you know there there are these individuals who were working within it who were very good and right. honorable, and I, I just I have very mixed feelings about this um, in the real world as well. You know the difference between a bad organization and the the good people who are in it, perhaps mm-hmm. trying to save that organization. Right. Or, or or push it in a better direction and are just being overwhelmed by the voices around them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know anything like that in the real world. <laughs> no, that's quite a bunch. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good comparison. And I think that that's, to me, I think that's why the story resonates so much is because it's this idea of, and in part, I think it's why, like, to me, Ahsoka's story is so interesting because, you know, you have people like Cal who are saying, like there can be some good within the Jedi, and so we should rebuild the Jedi. And then you have someone like Ahsoka, who I don't think she's against rebuilding the Jedi, but she definitely doesn't say like, "Well, the Jedi were you know broken, but I'm still a Jedi." She's very clear, like, "No, I'm something different now." And I, I think that's a really interesting. Like, I want us to see that explored a lot more. Of what does it mean to be a light side using Force user in the world where the Jedi Order has fallen? And you're trying to figure out, like, where, do you, as you said, like, what's if the organization was broken, how do you fall as an individual? Yeah, well, I think we get similar sentiments from Luke in The Last Jedi. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That, like, the idea of the Jedi as, like, a bureaucratic institution right. is dead. But that doesn't mean that, like, the idea of the Jedi as an individual person tapping into the Force and this sort of spiritual entity right. has yeah. to die as but, well. Because yeah. by the end of the the movie the last jedi he comes around to saying i will not be the last jedi yeah yeah so he realizes that the tradition can continue in a different way mm-hmm. right yeah definitely i think that's very true and i think that's also an interesting part of the story because i, I do feel like part of the story is cal coming to understand that maybe the institution it's like at first it seems like he just wants to rebuild the institution exactly mm-hmm. as it was you know that's part of why he finds to find this list of the young Padawan, not even Padawans, but it's like the list of like the two and three and four year olds who are force sensitive so that he can go and find them and try and like, you know, rebuild, rebuild the Jedi exactly as they were. And I, to me, I really like that by the end of the story, I feel like he has at least accepted that, like, that's why he destroys the holocron, that, that like, try, that A, you'd be putting those kids in incredible danger by pulling them together. But there were a couple of lines about like, is it the best to to kidnap children basically like that, not give them any agency or choice. And to me, it's Cal at least coming to that realization of if the Jedi are to continue, it's not going to be in the same way. Yeah, for sure. And like they've, they fulfilled their mission of getting the Holocron away from the Inquisitors, right? So they've kept the children safe in that manner. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think like he, he says, um, like I don't remember the exact line, but like if if they're meant to be Jedi, the Force will find them and lead them down that path. Like we don't need to indoctrinate them basically like let like let go and let force basically Mm -hmm. so let's talk a bit more about kind of what else we learn about the world in this um i also really like that we're starting to see the early resistance against the empire Mm. I, i think sometimes it's easy to feel like and here we can also go talk about canon and how it applies like you know originally it did seem like the Empire takes over, and then there's 20 years of just Imperial rule, and then this, like, rebellion starts to get started. And as more and more of these prequel stories are being told, we get more and more of a sense of 
that that it never really ended and that the sort of the the people fighting against the separatists or fighting at some point in the clone wars like they didn't love the empire to start with and that the kind of the the early resistance to that just kind of never stopped and and continued the whole way until it becomes a rebellion what how did you all feel like getting to see like the fighting on Kashik, the Wookiee home planet and getting to see Sagarera and 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 all those parts of the sort of early resistance to the empire well again like Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> I, I can't I can't get over that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Saw's still a giant butthole, but like Yeah, I don't know. You made a face. Do you don't think he's a jerk? Uh I don't think he was in this game. I don't know. Yeah. Is this I mean like, I don't think he was in this game. He didn't have like a huge, huge role. But I mean like he he was a jerk in Clone Wars. He's a jerk in um Rogue One. There we go. I got it. Um, therefore, the intermediate period. I feel like so. It's still be at, a jerk. Yeah, but at this point, he's still, he's still like very a very clean freedom fighter, mm. right? And then later on in storylines, he he falls to a, a down a darker path. Okay, so is that all right? We see him in Rebels, right? Is that? Is Rebels after this? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. Rebels okay. is set uh, 15 years after the Purge. This is set five years after the Purge. So yeah, this is okay. A, this is a middle point between that and then Rogue One. But he like H's down again. Okay, that's <laughs> fine. All right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get you. I see what you're saying. It's interesting. I'm not bothered by the the. Ch- I feel like when you go from live action to an actor. If you find an actor that doesn't look that much like the character but can really embody the sense of the character, I'm I'm much more okay with that. Um, but I think also I'm so not a visual person that I probably just don't pay enough attention to the way they look, they look on screen. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm I'm fine with it in practice. It just like confused me a little timeline wise. But yeah. now that I know, we're mm-hmm. good. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think we 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 need what we need to happen is for there to be like another five years from here. Mm-hmm. Where we see Saw again, and he is a little bit more extreme. Mm, okay, because right. yeah, going to from fill this in, to... fill in more of the gap. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I guess to me it feels like a natural progression because even when we met him in Clone Wars, he was willing to kind of take more extreme tactics than some others. And mm-hmm. it's interesting you describe him as a jerk because I I definitely feel like why, especially by Rogue One, he feels like that to some of our characters. To me. I, To me, what I really see him as is the kind of idea of like, you know, when oppression is awful, it becomes really difficult to to judge the way people fight oppression, you know? And then I think that there are there are tactics he uses where definitely are more on the kind of Mon Mothma side than the Saw Gerrera side. But I also find it very hard to kind of sit in judgment of him because I can very much understand like with all that he's been through, where he's driven to and why he thinks, you know, especially because like, and now we're talking more about his character itself, but like by the, by, by the time of Rogue One, you know, the others aren't fighting as much as he is, so... I, 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 I just really liked seeing his character here and and just this idea of that the, the fighting never really stops, you know, that it's not 20 years of imperial rule and then a new civil war starts. Yeah, and I think, like, Cal even says something about how, like, the war never ended on Kashyyyk. Right. Because, um, yeah, they've, they've just been, like, holed up there fighting the whole time, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I liked... Yeah, I think we... we Sure, we'll have a lot more to say about Saw in hmm. Rebels as well. Yeah, but it's definitely. also, I, I I do think that 
this 20 year period, a lot of it is kind of a holding pattern for the empire. Mm-hmm. Because what happens in A New Hope is that they finish construction of the Death Star. Why did it take you so long? That's it's um, a giant. It's, it's the size of a moon. Come on. But then the next uh, one is built in two and a half years. A- they anyway. already had the plans. They had the infrastructure <laughs> in place. So they finish construction of the Death Star. And then as, as soon as that happens, Palpatine dissolves the Senate. So right. it's like that's what they were waiting for yeah. to finish this descent into to autocracy is to have this weapon that could basically pacify any force against them so i do think like there is going to be this period of the empire just trying to act like the good guys and be like hey like you know like you talk about in the bad batch yay jobs yeah Yeah. that that it's only by then that they're like okay we tried the carrot it didn't work now here's the death stick yeah or like we're building the death stick but we just want you to think we're passing out carrots yeah (laughs) that works too so that gets into my next question, and it may well be that this ship has sailed, and so continuing to be upset about it seems to make no sense. But I do feel like, and this is kind of a general critique I have about any kind of a prequel, but I feel like especially in the Star Wars universe, you know, we start out in A New Hope with what really feels to me this idea of, like, the Jedi are dead and gone. It's this ancient religion that Vader is connected to, and no one has any real connection to it anymore. No one's even heard of it anymore. And... We keep seeing to be like, okay, but except for this one person. Oh, and this one other person. And this one other person. Um, There's a part of me that sort of at the end of it, it's like, okay, well, so now we have yet another Jedi who's running around in this period when the Jedi are all supposed to be gone. And then, of course, you also have to ask, why why wasn't Cal, you know, flying an X-Wing? Why wasn't, where was Cal in all this? And maybe it's because he, he and Seer get killed off in the next 15 years. But I'm just kind of curious to you all, like, did, is there a frustration of feeling like that we're just adding like more and more things to this intermediate period that don't seem to fit with the the continuity of the later movies, or is it just that we're we're already kind of accepted that that with rebels and stuff like that that's changed and and who cares at this point? I guess the way that I reconcile it is like the galaxy is very 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 big, mm-hmm. and so these stories are pretty myopic if you like think about them like we get a lot of interrelationships with the same characters over and over and like yeah there's there's a few like new folks we find out about on the fringe of these groups but they're all like circling the same general area whereas like the galaxy is so much more than just this little circle of jedi and people who know about it so i think like it's still believable to me that like i don't know joe joe every planet has like maybe heard of the jedi is like they used to be a part of the old republic but like then the empire came and they're gone now they were like a bunch of kooky mystics right who knows if they were even real um whereas like continuing to get more and more like learn more about the folks who do know that the jedi are real right um yeah it doesn't doesn't bother me that much that's fair ricky what about yourself you're talking about the scene in the Death Star, right? Where the Moff is telling Vader that he's like a part of an old religion and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, and, and that to me is For that fun, that's not yeah. Joe, Joe any planet. That's the guy who in theory now has been fighting alongside Inquisitors three years ago. <laughs> so it just doesn't make as much sense. But, but I think like the religion is gone. Mm-hmm. Like you think about religion in our world. I mean, we live in Virginia and there's a church 
seemingly like on every street corner <laughs> right and if you know the jedi the jedi purge like i don't know 99% of them were wiped out if we go down to 1% like how many churches are you going to see right and also like i was thinking about what you said about rebels right because um canaan and ezra end up being instrumental in the foundation of the rebellion right. which leads into a new hope like they they participate in a lot of these early battles so yeah you would think like people like mon mothma and i think general dodona is, is in rebels maybe um that these people would be like oh like luke's another jedi like those those folks mm-hmm. but it's also possible that the way you know that the rebellion is set up it's probably set up like um resistance cells right where each cell only communicates with like one other cell so you don't know what everyone else is doing you just know what your contact is doing and so they're not gonna they're not gonna be telling stories about oh like we've got jedi over here on lothal Mm -hmm. and and especially like even if you do know you're not gonna go telling people (laughs) because the empire has been hunting and killing jedi yeah yeah and i think oh go ahead go ahead no you go ahead Oh, I was going to say, like, it also kind of gets back to what we were saying about Jedi, the religion versus Jedi, the, the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea that, like, the Jedi Order as this institution is gone, but, like, just having an individual Jedi, like, maybe looks different. Like, even if we just look at Cal and Seer, right? And even, um, like, uh, Malakos, like, they don't look like Jedi in the way that we've associated them mm, in the past. Yeah, like, yeah, they have the a robes. lightsaber, but that's the only thing. Yeah, like, they don't have the robes. They're the braided not... hair. Exactly. Yeah, they, they've sort of lost the trappings of a Jedi that, like... Like, if you saw someone walking in, like, monk's robes down the street, you'd be like, hey, there's a monk. Whereas, right. like, if you just saw, like, a, a person walking down and they're like, I believe in this monastic theories. And <laughs> I, I don't, you'd be like, all right, whatever. That's, yeah. that's fun. And, like, maybe not associated as much? I don't I, know. I, I can hear all that. And I, I think to some extent I am holding on to my own version of the ancient religion, which is the the canon of the original New Hope that, to be frank, I mean, they started breaking that in the prequels, you know? The, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that the ship of accepting the way the Jedi were in the years before New Hope is now... They've been working on this for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I guess to me, though, the other thing is, and I'm, I'm curious how you would see it, is now more this question of if Cal is still alive at this point, why, why you know, why, like I said, why isn't he flying an X-Wing? And um, here I'm going to say something very spoilerish about Rebels. So if you haven't seen that, uh, skip ahead a minute or two. You know, to, uh, so three, two, one. To me, the very last scenes of Rebels, the last episode, one of the things they have to do is explain why Ezra didn't take part in the Jedi in the rebellion against the empire of the original movies. And I feel like that the way that they do it, if him being like him and Thrawn are, you know, kidnapped by space whales kind of thing, it feels so contrived that I, I guess it's why I'm also sort of super sensitive now to this question of like, why isn't Cal around of to me, unless in one of these sequels, he, you wind up showing him dying. You know how this other like, okay, so we have this other awesomely powerful person why wasn't he involved? Why wasn't he hanging out with Mon Mothma or, or any of these people? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how awesomely powerful Cal is, I guess. Like, especially with his, like, breaking the holocron, ho- blah, 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 holocron 
um, at, at the end of the game, too. Like, at, maybe we'll get a, a sequel game mm-hmm. and he'll be in there super powerful. But I don't know. Like, I could believe that Cal just sort of goes to working quietly behind the scenes after this. Or maybe, like, goes and, like, tries to seek out some Force-sensitive kids and just, like, talk to them or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or maybe his... His personal mission is to take out Inquisitors, and that's mm. why we don't see Inquisitors <laughs> in the, the A New Hope. Two birds, one stone. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I just feel like, especially in Empire and then Return of the Jedi, like, Obi-Wan and Yoda make such a big deal about how Luke is like that, you know, the rebellion needs a Jedi and that Luke mm. is the last hope or that maybe Leia is the last hope. And again, maybe maybe I'm just holding on to those two tightly. I just feel like... If we're also supposed to believe that there are these other Jedi running around, it, it just to me it undercuts the power of that quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, that, that's just I think the problem with prequels yeah. <laughs> and like delving so deeply into this universe is that like you're gonna contradict the thing that came out in 1977. Yeah, forty some years later, right? Like it's but just... they're but they're also caught up in. The idea of the prophecy mm. and the idea of, you know, the all-powerful Skywalker. Like balance to the Force and yeah. all that. Yeah. So I think they are trying to reconcile with, why were we wrong about Anakin? Right. Maybe the prophecy is about Luke. Oh, you're, t- you're talking specifically Obi-Wan and Yoda. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I, I can hear that. And I think, like, as a logical understanding of the story, that makes sense. But to me, if the central tension of those movies is so much of this, like, they believe and so the audience believes that he is the last hope, learning that actually, no, he wasn't really the last hope because, like, Grogu was out there and, and Kanan was out there and, all you know, not, uh, 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 Cal was out there. It, it just, to me, it undercuts those movies quite a lot. Um, but But you're right. I think, Sarah, what you said about this is the danger of prequels, and frankly, it's why I, I think I'm so interested in things like The Bad Batch and Rogue One because – we're getting the stories that are so far below the headlines that they feel like they're important stories, but that, that nothing in the stories is going to happen that's going to be big enough to change the, the later stuff. In, in fact, there's actually a scene in Rebels that that all but confirms what I just said, and I'm not going to be spoilery about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I... I got very mad at that scene, so we'll, get, we'll talk about oh, it when we get to Rebels. What? That's so. like the best scene in... I forget what scene we're talking yeah. about. Right. So we'll talk about it afterwards. <laughs> we'll get there soon. Because we'll I don't soon. want you to skip ahead, listener. Yeah. Keep keep keep, keep on keeping on. For sure, we're we're gonna be talking about rebels. Uh, okay, as soon as Bad so Batch ends. I want to reset and talk about the Zepho, because they are so Eno Cordova, the Jedi <sighs> Master. I, I'm sorry, I yawned. What were you saying? <gasps> <What>? <gasps> I was so bored by the Zepho. But okay, it's on. like everything you love to talk about about the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So the Zepho is an ancient race that used the Force, and Eno Cordova, the Jedi Master, was investigating like their ruins and artifacts across the galaxy and following these clues to figure out what happened to the Zepho. And it turns out the Zepho fell to the dark side. They had like their own version of Palpatine, who like took over and killed a bunch of people, and then they got rid of him. And basically left the galaxy. They're like, we've done so much damage, we have to leave. And and that's why they're gone. And then the, all of these artifacts and uh, ruins are left on these planets. And that's what they're investigating. 
So it's like this parallel storyline to the Jedi mm-hmm. that also ends in the way that I kind of wanted the Rise of Skywalker to end. Everyone just like peace out. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, we've we've done so much damage to this galaxy. Like we should leave. We're done. No, we should we should get married and go farm moisture. That's a bad. Together. That's a bad <laughs> occupation. I read the Obi Wan book. It's not profitable. <laughs> it really is. There's not. no money in moisture. No. It's a great book, um, but it's not a good occupation. Well. <laughs> So, in a bit, I want I want you to give you more time to talk about the storyline of the Zepho. What I'm going to say is kind of going to introduce my thoughts on introducing a story like this in the in a game. I had literally no idea of any of that because, but it's all told in the game. Not really, because it is it is not in any way directly rele- relevant to the plot of the game, and you can the way the game plays out. You can finish the plot of the story, and then there's all these kind of like you can spend like far, far more time going much deeper to explore the world and finding all these little artifacts that tell you that story in a very inconvenient kind of like you have to keep pushing buttons to go back and forth between different journal things. And like I was amazed to realize by the time they got at the end of the story that I'd only actually like played like 30 or 40 percent of the game. Because of the way the game is set up. So, I, I have a, honestly, that makes me a lot more angry about the game because I would have loved to have gotten that story. But, like, because it's not in any way relevant to the game itself, it's just 100% flavor. And you can complete all the missions without doing any of that or without really even being pushed to do that. Uh, I, I missed this out entirely. So, so yeah, I'd love to hear you two talk more about what you liked about the Zepho because it sounds like a, a great story and you a wonderful parallel to this. What? <laughs> read the notes. <laughs> This, but you got to so find one, the notes. One of the things about us watching video games like on YouTube, like walkthroughs, is I get very annoyed when people like people playing the game don't read the notes and just mm-hmm. like click through or don't even like pick them up right. because they're very important for the story. And like the creators of the game have taken this time to weave this this story like in the background of this game right that if you take the time to read everything just i feel like it enriches the experience that much more oh for sure and And and, like and i just want to make clear that i agree with that what i'm saying is that the way the playability of it's structured you have to be a much better gamer in order to get to find those notes like there's a lot of notes where you have to be like you can jump in this perfect way to get to this thing that you don't have to do for the sake of the plot and you have no like, it's not like I kept walking past all these notes and just saying, eh, I don't bother. I literally had no idea they were all there until I got to the end of the game. And I was like, oh, yeah, you only completed 30%. I was like, I missed that entirely. So and, anyway, yeah, but but now go back to that. I just well, want to make that part, clear. Go ahead. Well, that's part of, I think, the intentional game design these days is that you can finish the game, finish the game and get to an ending and not really get the full experience and they are encouraging you to play it again right yeah and lots of games will have like once you get through it you can go back back and play a different mode mm-hmm. um like you unlock special modes or branching like, paths branching path where you have like infinite ammo now right not applicable for star wars obviously but yeah <laughs> so it's like yeah that's sort of encouraging you to replay so i think like i mean part of it's probably marketing right so that you don't get angry that you spent 80 bucks on a video game and it's over in a day but 
Yeah. I mean, I could, I, I definitely could see how that would be frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to like, I guess, come to the defense of the YouTuber who we watched, um, play through this, which is again, the rad Brad yeah. shout out. Um, and yeah, like he, if a note shows up on the screen, he just like skips over it a lot of the times, but I think that's more he of a, was, he was reading it this time. For, for Resident, for Evil. Resident Evil, he was. Yeah. In, in Fallen Order, he didn't a lot. Okay. But I think Fallen Order also has a lot of, like, weird words, right? There's a lot of fun fun and interesting names with lots of vowels. Um, <laughs> and, like, I'm, I'm not especially comfortable, like, reading something out loud in front of a, an audience in the first go. Yeah. So I understand him just, like, popping it up there and being like, if you want to read this, pause the video, go nuts. I'm going to move on and keep playing. Well, but so also, there... I think in this game, a lot of the lore is told visually. I mean, not by, like, notes that you read, but Eno Cordova himself yeah. has, like, recordings within BD that are unlocked when you Hits reach certain places. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah and right. I guess I didn't realize that that wasn't, that that was optional, because, yeah, like, we didn't we didn't actually do it. So it just so it seemed like yeah. an extension of the, the game that we were watching. Well, and so obviously, I think that can lead us into a conversation, the last kind of topic I wanted to get into, which is the idea of telling a canonical story through this video game medium. But first, I just want to say, like, is there more about the Zepho story itself we wanted to discuss? Well, I mean, I basically told the story. Mm-hmm. I just think that it, it adds to the overall lore of Star Wars to have other Force-using races and organizations that Definitely. preceded the Jedi. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, like I like um like we got we already talked about the Night Sisters a little bit. I think you, you there's some like some things in um Rebels too. We right. get the idea of like other species being force sensitive as well. Well, especially um, cuz by the end of this, one of the former Night Sisters like when we talked about the Night Sisters in the Clone Wars, I think we got really into this idea of the Night Sisters as force users who are neither Jedi nor Sith, mm-hmm. but they're certainly mostly antagonists. And by the end of this, uh, a one of the one of the last living Night Sisters has basically joined the Scooby Gang. Like she's on the ship with them, and seems like she's going to be a, an, a protagonist and not an antagonist in in the next game. Yeah, um, Mirren, Miri, I forget I, her name. I, yeah, but yeah, yeah, and that's interesting, especially seeing her interaction with Malakos, who's yeah the Jedi who set up shop on Dathomir, mm-hmm. and like she seemed to to to. She initially is very hostile towards Cal in a, like, boo Jedi sense. Right. Um, and then once it's revealed that Malakos is a Jedi, was a Jedi, um, she indicates that, like, you told me that all the Jedi were evil and that they were responsible. Yeah. Malakos lied to her mm-hmm. and said that the Jedi were responsible for the massacre of Dathomir, which right. we saw in Clone Wars was carried out by Grievous. And she right. actually mentions Grievous as, like, this this metal this machine wielding lightsabers mm-hmm. yeah um so I, I think having her come to the realization that like she's been lied to um and then yeah joining up with as you call them the scoobies uh, <laughs> i think it was, was neat to see them like because i mean i don't know as much as we love ventress she's definitely uh not a not a good guy mm-hmm. um so yeah seeing seeing a night sister who is yeah this sort of light side using force user um yeah. who's yeah i mean and they still refer to it as magic with a k in this uh in this in, in fallen order same way that they do in uh clone wars right mm-hmm. they're very much like a witchy sort of brood 
Well, I guess it's like, it's just her on Dathomir, right? It's her and then some zombie sisters. She says that she's the last one. But there right. might be some others, like, scattered throughout the galaxy. I mean, clearly, as we've established, when someone says you're the last one, that doesn't have to mean anything. <laughs> that doesn't so. necessarily mean it. Yeah, she's the last one on Dathomir. And there's, like, an right. asterisk. Um, but yeah, so I think the this idea of having yet another, like, race using the Force is just really... Super interesting, and like Riki was saying, that sort of parallel storyline is nice. It's fun. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, and honestly, I mean, I'm I'm now going to try and go back and try to maybe watch some of those cutscenes about the Zepho because, and and let's take this time now to move into that that kind of last question because I I have a bit of a rant, and then I want to hear your thoughts as well. Though, (laughs) for me, at first when I heard that this video game story was canonical, I was like, okay, that sounds really awesome. I think I quickly found it very frustrating because, yeah, and I said, I'm not the best gamer. You know, I'm good at, like, I'm good at RPGs and things like that. And I, I, I got my way through Squadrons, which is another fun game. It has some fun story. But generally, when I play games like that, I play it on, you know, story mode, where the, the assumption is kind of like that if you press the right buttons in a somewhat decent, like, timing, you're going to be able to survive the story. And, and there's not going to be many huge challenges because the real point of it is that you get to play out the story and experience the whole story without having to be, like, all the sort of hand-eye coordination of the, like, you know, the video games I grew up on, like Pac-Man and all that kind of stuff, or Super Mario Brothers. You need to have perfect hand-eye coordination to, like, get through the game. And I've loved this whole genre of, like, RPGs where, nah, it's much more about the story. This is not that kind of game. It's a platformer, and, and you have to be able to, like, jump and, you know, read the room and see the walls and see the ropes exactly where they are and, and time everything perfectly. And that's not my style of game, but I'm very glad people enjoy that kind of game, and apparently this is a very good version of that kind of game. I found it, though, very frustrating, this idea that there was a part of the story of this larger universe that it was entirely possible I couldn't access unless I had really good hand-eye coordination for a video game. And, you know, I know that you can go back and play, you watch the, the videos, and I think for some people that, that's a possibility. For others, it, it, I, I, I tried doing that with the um, Arkham Knight games, because similarly, like, I just couldn't get through some of those games. And, you know, it's very stilted, it's very, you know, jumping back and forth. It's hard to follow sometimes. And so I, I guess I just, I don't love the idea that we're going to have major parts of the story, especially if now like Cal shows up sometimes, that are told in a medium that can be fairly inaccessible. And I think I was already feeling that, but honestly what you just told me about the Zepho makes me feel that much more so because, like I think you just want, like if every one of those parts of the Zepho story had been right in front of you and you just have to, you know, you can choose not to read it or to read it, I think it's one thing, but the fact that you you have to go very out of your way and be much more a 100% completionist, even when completing that stuff is very, very, like, just physically hand-eye coordination difficult, Having being able to play through the whole game and miss an entire part of the story like you're talking about, I just don't love the idea that that's how we're telling what's supposed to be canonical stories. Um, that That's my rant, and I'm kind of curious as, for you all, especially as people who may interact a lot more with video games, what, what what your perspective on it is. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't feel as impassioned as you do, I guess. I mean, like, we didn't, we didn't play the video game, right? right? Like, we just watched it. And I feel like still got just as much out of the story. Um, and, like, it's definitely a much bigger time commitment than, like, sitting down to watch a movie. But 
I mean, it's also free on YouTube, right? right? Like, I didn't have to invest into the video game and then play it. I could just, like, sit and watch TV, basically. Um, so I felt like it was just as accessible at someone who was also, as someone who was also, like, quite bad at video games. Um, I, I don't know. I think, like, the idea of telling canonical stories through video games is interesting, and I, and I like it. Um... And this idea that, like, not not everything is going to be for everyone as well. Like, mm-hmm. That's fair. I know that there's, like, a lot of, of canon story being told in the novels as well. And, like, in, unless those novels come out as, like, book on tape, I'm probably never going to read them. Right. Just because, like, I'm fairly dyslexic and, like, reading novels for, for fun isn't really a thing that I do much anymore. That's legit. Um, but, yeah, I, I think if there were... Like, if they somehow, like, if EA, for some reason, like, banned playthroughs of this being put up on YouTube or something like that, then I would definitely feel mm-hmm. uh, as, as like, upset as you do, I guess. That, yeah. like, the fact that I have to buy an $80 video game and be able to play it to get the story. But, the um like, there's, I don't know. I enjoy the workarounds, I guess. I yeah, know. that's Ricky. fair. I so I have a lot of feelings about video games and video game storytelling. I think they are very rich and deep. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked a lot about Resident Evil. Silent Hill is another franchise that has told some amazing stories in their games, definitely, and has has a depth of lore that um, is quite frankly just like very startling mm-hmm. and and just makes me desire more and i compare that to the movie series of both silent hill and resident evil which are absolute (laughs) garbage yes so you cannot convince me that you know somehow movies are a better format for telling these stories than video games oh and let me be very clear that's not what i'm saying at all i think the final fantasy stories that i've played through those video games uh, are fantastic stories i think I've gotten to watch my partner play through a number of video games and are fantastic stories. To me, if this was more like, but the thing is like, I can get through Final Fantasy because you put it on easy mode and there really is never going to be anything that's so challenging that I just, I hit a point where I literally can't keep going unless I find someone else to press the right buttons at the right time. To, To me, it's that it felt like this particular form of video game was much less accessible. And I, I wish there had been a true story mode. Like, to me, if there's just a true story mode where you're going to be able to overcome all the challenges, it just might take a little longer. You might have to do a boss fight a couple more times. But you're going to be able to experience all the parts of that story. Then I think I'd be fine. And I, I think in some ways it's it's because of what you're talking about that I'm more disappointed by this. Because I think, I think you're right. Storytelling through video games is fantastic. And I would love to see Star Wars do it more. I, I think they can be incredibly rich stories. I just wish that it was in a more accessible gaming format. Yeah, just like give have an easy mode, basically. Yeah, and, and yeah, there is an easy mode, but it's like I mean, like a lot of the game reviewers talk about, like the easy mode of this game is still very hard. <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, that's a potential balance issue for the game designers, and right. I will just, in general, say that I know there are certain people out there who are upset that there are easy modes of games and you can just go off. Yeah. (laughs) Because, um, you know, as we're having this discussion with you, Matthew, like it's important that 
games are accessible to different skill levels of people. So again, like I don't know the specifics of what parts you were struggling with and what, you know, the different modes of the game change that change the difficulty. So I cannot really speak to whether it's too hard or too easy. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, like there should be a base level that, you know, anyone should be able to pass. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a recent game i totally forget what it was but um it only offered like a hard or like hardest mode yeah that's just yeah and and i think people were saying like you should you should give us like at least a standard mode because then i can play it and then there was some talk about like well the designers didn't intend yeah. like they intended for it to be difficult right. and it's just yeah. needless ego stroking and that's just yeah gamers. exactly that's just dumb that's just cutting that's just excluding a large if you want it to be harder and like there's a harder mode that's great and i yeah. i know like I have watched some playthroughs of people who love playing on like the nightmare mode with zero damage, you know, yeah. and, and all that, and like it's very impressive to watch. Oh, and, and I, I, I think mean, that that's a you know that's a skill level, yeah, that you know a lot of gamers aspire to. And, but I'm just here for the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Having an easy mode that is accessible. Yeah. To like. Folks like us, Matthew, who cannot play video games. Not to, not to say that you can't, but I feel like we're on like a similar level where I, like, yeah. I I cannot do platformers. My hand-eye coordination is terrible. Um, yeah, having having a mode where they give me a, yeah, like let me push a button and give me a real wide window as to when it's acceptable to push said button. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this game, you know, having never actually like had a controller in my hands controlling Calcastus, mm-hmm. even just from watching, I can tell that this game is a degree of difficulty harder than other platformers because of the open world nature mm-hmm. and the fact that you can actually fall off of things. Yes. A, a lot of other games like this have, you know, barriers, even though there's a cliff, like you can't actually walk off the cliff. Right. You could because it's not yeah it's not part of the storyline but here like there are cliffs there are parts where you have to do like the jedi wall run Mm -hmm. and if you do it incorrectly or time it wrong you'll just fall yeah but at least it just resets you to like you know where you were just previously standing yeah yeah but i could oh man so (laughs) this is a weird tangent um there's two games that i recently watched people play on on youtube from my childhood that i could not get past one is like a nancy drew computer game from like 2001 2002 <laughs> uh-huh. where there was just like i was just too young for it and there was like a puzzle that i straight up couldn't solve and it was a timing thing where you had to go and like click a gas line and then run out of a room and click something else and so i was just like it popped up and i was like oh that's how you do that thing and then another was Super Mario Sunshine, which ostensibly <laughs> is a game for children. And I remember my sister and I struggling. There was one section where you had to, like, spray a bunch of slime in a certain amount of time. And we just couldn't do it. And we could never get past that one part in the story, no matter, like, how many yeah. strategy guides we bought. Because this was pre-internet. Well, or, like, <laughs> pre-us having good access on the internet. Anyway. Yeah. And it was super, super frustrating. And so I could definitely see how... If there was, yeah, like, canonical story in, like, the Super Mario world past this one level, and I just could Mm. not get through it, being frustrated with it and then, like, getting angry about that. Like, I get real frustrated at video games real easy. Yeah. And I think it would, like, sour my experience. So, yeah, I mean... And, and you know, and that's part of why we do podcasts like this because, I like, especially yeah. what we said about the novels, like we're we're doing a Star Wars book club for people who want to know what that story is but just don't want to read the novels. And 
I do like what Star Wars is doing of just putting canon everywhere because I think they're going to be pretty good about, like, I can't imagine there will be a movie where Cal is such an important character and his backstory matters so much that if you haven't played the game, you have no idea what's going on in the movie. Like, they're, they're clearly <laughs> never going to do that. But, yeah, I, I'm glad at least we can understand each other there. Because I, I definitely agree, and I really can't. I like what both of you are saying about kind of help reminding me that we can have story stories being told through video games that are that can be really deep and really add so much to the universe by by putting you in the position of that character, you know, letting you experience it instead of just reading about it or watching someone else do it. But yeah, I just think it's the accessibility issue that, that really matters here. So I think that's kind of what, all I had. We've gone on quite a while now, but are there any other kind of last comments either you want to make or last questions to bring up? Well, I, I threatened to go off about the gladiatorial battle <laughs> and i'm gonna briefly do so go for it what the heck so when when that came up in the playthrough that we'd watched for, i was like for those who haven't watched or played through can you give it to the 30 second explanation sure can i you're fighting the second sister and she's like haha i'm trilla and then you get like abducted and you wake up in a jail cell without bd1 and you're like, where am I? And there's some people talking in a language you don't understand. And it turns out you're in some sort of gladiatorial pit because Grease lost a bet? Question mark? Uh, and then you have to like fight a bunch of monsters. Yeah. And then Grease and Seer come and rescue you. It's very much like Sakaar from Thor Ragnarok. It's yeah. like a Grandmaster vibe. Yeah. yeah, but it just like, it seems so thrown in the middle. Oh, it was. For no reason. Like I felt, I felt that the Rad Brad had like died and this is why we got this like retraining round where it's like okay you did bad so we're gonna throw you into this pit so you can learn how to fight good again and then we're gonna go but like no that's just how the story sometimes you just have to add levels you know but it's just like such a weird yeah it just felt so so weird and out of place and i felt really what it i wanted to like the character of grieve a lot more because he's supposed to be kind of in some ways he's actually a great (gasps) character because he is He's just the guy trying to make a living in this crazy world where the political structure keeps changing around him. And he's like, he doesn't love the Empire, but also the Republic wasn't that great either. And the Clone Wars were terrible. And he's like, I mean, he comes to believe in the cause we're fighting for. But he kind of has that attitude of like, I just would rather like keep my head down. And to me, that's a helpful attitude to see that like that's part of how the Empire survives is that some people are just like, we're just done after the Clone Wars. We don't want to keep fighting every day. But yeah, then they do like... They can't quite find the line of, is he kind of the lovable scamp who will do some, like, little bit shady things, but but not terrible? Or who will he literally sell you into a gladiatorial combat? Because that, to me, is, like, that's not lovable scamp behavior. That's that's crossing a line. He yeah. apologized. He, he apologized. It's fine. Well, I mean, it seems like he lost a bet. Like, he didn't intentionally sell Cal, but still, he bet Cal in the first place, which is uh, bad. I think it- it might have been like a Han situation where his debts had gotten too high. Right. So they just like took. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so weird. And I like I I really like Grease. I especially like his easy greasy phrase. Mm-hmm. That's adorable and wonderful. And yeah, he feels like the crotchety uncle who's like begrudgingly like he loves you, but he's never gonna say it. Yep. Um. But yeah, yeah. It's just the <laughs> the idea of him like his gambling debts must be paid. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. So strange. Yeah. So I have two things. Okay. One, the wind mechanics in the cutscenes <laughs> are really weird. So. Don't look too closely at people's hair. <laughs> yep. Two, 
uh, on Bracca, the second sister arrives in a TIE interceptor, uh, which should not be developed for like another 10 to 15 years <laughs> because it was actually uh, Darth Vader's TIE advanced that was the prototype that led to the development of the TIE interceptor. Right. Nerd. Yep, I <laughs> <No>. am. <laughs> we notice these things. Deep continuity is an important thing. You know, you got to pay attention to these things. Well, guys, this was a great conversation. I'm so glad we got to have it. Uh, to our listeners, what do you all think? Would love to hear your thoughts. Um, you can find us on all of my podcasts under the Ethical Panda. So you can go to the Ethical Panda on Facebook or Twitter, or email us at theethicalpanda@gmail.com. Would love to hear what you have to say. Uh, as I said, right now we're doing Star Wars podcasts every week on the Bad Batch as every episode comes out. If you've got some time on a Friday morning and you're going to watch that episode right when it comes out or the night before or right that morning and you want to then live talk to us about it, hop on Twitch TV, Stranded Panda, and talk to us there every every Friday at 9 a.m. Uh, Central Time. And of course, also just we'll, that podcast will then be out hopefully on Fridays. Sometimes it comes out more like Saturday or Sunday depending on how much editing it needs needs done. I had a big snafu last week. That's why I got delayed for a while. And why there was a little bit of, you might have heard Sarah's voice in uh, triplicate from time to time. That was on me. But, That's just me. You know, it, it's the voice of wisdom rings out. Yes. So yeah, but so definitely check all that out and check out the Animation Deliberation podcast, which is the one we're partnering with. They just did a great run on the TV show Invincible, which is a very good animated, very intense, like gruesome, bloody show, which... I didn't think animation could make me look away the way Kill Bill had, but it, it, it goes there, which I don't love, but it's still a great story. And you can find them as well as so many other great podcasts on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. If you go to strandedpanda.com, there you'll find podcasts about the MCU, Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, things where we're talking about uh, the Godzilla vs. Kong universe. There's going to be stuff on the Fast and Furious coming up soon. If it's stuff that keeps oh, like... Get me off of that. I know, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited for those. So... Uh, <laughs> We'll, we'll get into it there. So on behalf of myself, Riki, Sarah, thank you all so much for listening, and have a great day. <laughs> Padawan Kestus. Padawan Kestus. I like it. I like it. I like it.